All right, I'm here with Yuri and Rob, so let's go ahead and introduce ourselves. Uh, Yuri, let's start with you. What's your What's your background, um, experience with Angular, that that sort of stuff? Yeah, cool. So yeah, my name is Yuri Stromflora. I'm actually from the north of Italy. So a very small region there, it's called South Tyrol, so in the middle of the Alps, basically. I've been doing software development professionally for around probably 10 years. Started on the backend side, so with .NET, ASP.NET, and also some Java. And I think around six, seven years ago or something, I then dove more into the front end kind of stuff because the company I was working at really wanted to create more advanced applications, like more dynamic ones with JavaScript. And so we, we dove into that at that time, still jQuery. So we're really, really jQuery heavy. So we had some kind of JavaScript MPZ yep. framework on top of that. And uh, yeah, then we, we switched over to AngularJS and then later I got involved much more with Angular itself. So Angular 2 and onwards. And yeah, that's where I'm currently in. So doing some front-end development on Angular. I'm also doing some freelance training and workshops in companies and yeah, enjoying it basically. Yeah, that, that seems to be a very common story to back-end developers around that time of Angular 1 coming out. Like, well, we need to build more dynamic apps and they start learning Angular. And, yeah. All right, Rob, what's, uh, what's your name? Where are you from? Uh, so my name is Rob Wormald. Uh, I'm a developer advocate. No, that's not true. I'm a developer program engineer uh, at Google on the Angular team. It's a pretty new change. Nice. I've been here at Google for about a year and a half, almost two years now. Um, all of that on the Angular team. Previous to that, I was uh, sort of just an independent developer. I ran a consulting shop for a little while. Um, I've done training. I've done teaching. Um, I actually come from really, I guess I really originally started programming on iOS, kind of when the first iPhones came out and the App Store came out, which is almost 10 years ago now. That's kind of when I got started programming. Yeah. Um, and did some iOS stuff, did some backend stuff, learned some jobs, <laughs> and then uh, moved to the front end to do Angular. All right, so let's just start with a, a broad question. So Angular, the 2.0 release was a big one, had all the fanfare. Since then, um, with the version control changes and everything, it's, I think it's up to 5.1 now. Mm -hmm. how, how have either of you seen Angular evolve since that, the, the major change at 2.0? Well, I think it's from a feature perspective, that there has there have been a lot of feature, features since 2.0, but for most people, at least that's what I experience also when I do workshops in companies, they see it like it went quite on like smoothly. So there have been obviously new kind of features they have introduced or that have been introduced. For me personally, uh, the biggest features are for sure the new HTTP client, also improvements on the router, mm. but mostly the bundle size improvements. That's also what I heard a lot of from people already using like Angular 2 and then jumping on to Angular 4 and now 5. They really reported and it was also seen on Twitter a lot, basically how, how much the bundle size shrink down by just basically doing nothing and then rather just upgrading to Angular 5. So that's, that's really so some of the things I hear most when I talk to people. Yeah, I think that we, we went through a fairly major evolution from 2 to 4 uh, under the hood. And I think that's been kind of the biggest... The biggest kind of change that I've seen kind of under the hood, um, as, as you already said, things like HTTP client, you know, nice little kind of simple APIs we've added. One of the things that, that kind of we like to point out and that probably we don't point out enough is that part of the reason it took so long for the first version of Angular 2.0 to come out was that we wanted to make sure that we got the public API right. And so, you know, since we released 2.0, 
we've, we've pretty much left that, that public API alone, um, but we've been able to sort of under the hood evolve how Angular works completely, right? We kind of completely changed the way that we generate code between version two and version four. And that, that kind of really is going to be the philosophy of Angular going forward that, you know, we want to keep this public API pretty stable, you know, not have to rewrite your own application code. And then we can go back kind of under the hood and, and optimize it. So for me, kind of seeing that evolution happen, and, and really we, we kind of had to prove it to ourselves between two and four that we could do it. And I think it worked pretty well. Most people were very, very happy with it. Uh, as Yuri said, you know, they just recompiled and, and saved some bundle size. Um, and I th so I think for us, being able to see that kind of silent evolution happen, if you like, it, it's pretty cool to see. And it, yeah, it yeah. gives us confidence to do a lot more interesting stuff kind of in the future. So I, I have to ask, do you have any like cool under the hood stories of something that was really surprising or something that the team fought over or th things like that? So I think that, that one of the interesting things has been that, that really we optimized, we kind of designed Angular, right? We, yeah. we very much optimized for what we call the update case, right? Which is that is your application is up and running. And then, you know, how fast can we update records or rows or a table view or whatever? And that was, you know, that was one of the larger kind of issues we ran into with AngularJS in the later kind of days of it. And so we optimized for that. Um, but obviously, it kind of turns out that, you know, as, as people are moving more and more towards mobile devices and, you know, as kind of the, the front end ecosystem shifted, it turns out that, that often, you know, that, that kind of update performance is, is not always the most important metric or not the only metric that people are, are kind of working on. And so, we kind of continually have this tension between, you know, making it easy to use, um, making it small, making it fast, and they kind of go on different dimensions. So, so it's kind of a continual evolving discussion on our team about, you know, where do we optimize for for X or Y? You know, you only have so much you can do, and so kind of deciding which axes you wanna you wanna push along, uh, and so that again, that like Angular two to Angular four change was really that was us kind of coming kind of coming to this realization that actually probably it was better to to make the code size smaller than it was to make the execution of that code faster right um, and we still debate that you know we still kind of slide that dial back and forth uh, on a daily basis as we're experimenting and developing new apis yeah i can only imagine the outside voices you guys hear demanding you be pulled in one way smaller faster faster execution all, all those things yeah, it's and you know I think that we'd like we'd love to solve all of the problems, right? Um, right. <laughs> because there are only so many hours in the day. There's only so many people on our team. We're not a huge team, and of course, you know, internal teams have often different requests and different needs than the external community does. Yeah. So it's, it's very interesting trying to balance these these opposing forces on, on a daily basis, for sure. Yeah. So, so Yuri, is uh, anything new and exciting in Angular that if people aren't on Twitter constantly following all the conversations, they they might not know about? I mean, I, I think I saw. Material got its first official stable release and yeah. things like that. Yeah. Well, personally, actually, I have to say what, what me excites most about what's coming up or what's already been announced. Actually, Rob, I guess, announced it at Angular Connect or Angular Mix already is uh, Angular Elements and Angular CLI Schematic. So these are those two things which I'm actually most excited about because I think, especially Angular Elements, but as well also the schematics part, they really open up uh, a whole new world, actually, because if we think about, I, I was uh, watching, like I was last week at the conference where I gave a talk also at the NGB in Belgium and Pascal Precht actually had a talk there also on Angular Elements where he did some live coding demos, which were really excited, exciting. And what he actually did is he went basically and took uh, like the Angular material radio buttons 
and he compiled them down using the Angular elements, basically to native web components, and then reused them basically in a simple HTML page. And that was really cool to see and follow along because you can now really imagine like, okay, I like really those drop-down lists or those buttons from Angular Material, just to name some of these, or the tabs component. And you could compile those down to Angular Elements and then share it on our applications. And I think that that will really be some some exciting stuff when that comes out. I think it's currently a labs project, right, Rob? So it's not really production yeah, we, ready, but... That, that project is, is actually, it's something that I've been kind of thinking about slash annoying the Angular team with for probably the past 18 <laughs> months or so. Thanks a and, lot for and that. It's kind of, to me, yeah, I know, it's, it's <laughs> taken, some, taken some time to get there. And for me, there's kind of two, sort of two parts to it. The first is obviously like the reusability factor, right? I think is, is major. The first time I introduced it and kind of every time I introduced this idea, to me, it's very sad that, that, you know, we have to write the same date picker, the same in, you know, different frameworks again and again and again. We yeah. spend a lot of time, and certainly my job is is being out at our customers, right? Seeing who's using Angular, being at big companies, and seeing how they're using it. Solving um, the same problem over and over. Yeah, solving the same problem again. It it it's kind of sad. Um, it's something that that you know, and I've done it myself. I've probably written half a dozen date pickers in my career, and I would like to never write a date picker again. And so, you know, the Chrome team and and kind of the web community as a whole, web components have been around for a while. Um, They've gone through some evolution. I think some of the latest sort of evolutions of web components are why we're beginning to look at them. It opens up some some things that have been blocking Angular to use web components before. Such as what? What? I, I haven't followed the web components. So, so one of them is uh, custom elements went through, they had this kind of V0 spec and this V1 spec. And, you know, they're kind of functionally the same, but they give us, in terms of kind of understanding what's going on at the component level, so, uh, you know, observing attributes changing and some, some tweaks to the way that life cycles work. Also, the ability to kind of to actually create a custom element just by calling new on the constructor is not something we could do previously. So that's useful for us. And, and really, the other thing, kind of the, the Shadow DOM uh, API kind of catching up as well. So, you know, that introduces slots and uh, kind of a bunch of things that, are, that Angular sort of already does, right? Uh, slots are very much like content projection or transclusion. The observed attributes on a custom element are very much like Angular's inputs. And so really like the kind of the, the latest specs really, really align very closely with kind of the Angular model. And so it makes it, it makes it reasonably straightforward to, to actually make elements a thing. And that's the interesting thing about elements is that really the whole code base is maybe, maybe 200 lines of code, 250 lines of code. It's not a major thing, right? All we're really doing is kind of bridging um, kind of this native world to the, the kink kind of Angular APIs. Uh, but Angular was always built with this in mind. The kind of early right. phase yeah. of Angular design was kind of baked around this idea. And so it's made it reasonably straightforward to actually kind of just close the loop, right? And and kind of close this loop so that an Angular component can just be sort of as a custom element. Yeah, I, I think you guys are one of the last re remaining champions of the web component ideas. <laughs> Yeah, and, and certainly I think we were involved in the early design phases. Um, some of the opinions kind of early on differed, right? Um, and really, to be honest with you, a year ago, you know, it was a much harder sell with web components not being kind of in those browsers, right? Now that Safari has picked them up and, and uh, Chrome, has, you know, Chrome has already implemented them, Firefox is in the process of implementing. We hope Edge is doing the same thing. It, we're sort of hitting this critical mass where they're available in enough places. We have companies who have this problem, um, and so for us, it, it seems like it's it's time to do it, right? And I should say that even internally at Google, you know, we have this same this same issue where we have teams who want to share code, right? We have you know a few internal frameworks here at Google, and they have the same thing that they don't want to be reinventing the wheel, right? 
And so for Angular to become, if you like, the kind of tool for building those kind of shareable components, we think is a pretty compelling idea. Yeah, I think it's really powerful because, for instance, we had at the company where I was working, we, we developed an AngularJS application at that time, which was basically like uh, on top of open layers, basically we developed some kind of geographical information system, which was like plugged in and, and could add some stuff on those maps or pre-configure it. And our idea was actually you had the full-blown application, which was an Angular application with some tools on it, like drawing on the map and, and setting layers and so on, based on some configuration. But you also really wanted to give the, the opportunity basically to take that map and embed it on some other kind of our applications. And just through some configuration, like through some inputs of the components, basically to steer that configuration so that we know what the map should show on that page. And we at that time did it actually with AngularJS, and that was really a hard thing because internally we structured it already uh, using a components uh, style of fashion, like component architecture. And that map was really also, also in the main application nicely basically separated from the whole rest of the application, just steered to those input parameters. But obviously in Angular 1, extracting such a component and have it like a standalone into another page was really difficult. Also, we actually ignored basically the problem, what would happen if another, another AngularJS application would actually run on that page, because that would probably have messed up everything. But now actually having this kind of elements coming along, that would be really, really solve that problem actually, because people can develop like their applications just as they are normally accustomed. And they don't really have to know all the details which are behind the web components and that kind of stuff. And then just compile them down or single components, compile them out into reusable, reusable web components basically. So. That, that's actually why I'm really excited about that kind, kind of stuff. One of the cool things has been since we kind of announced that we're, we're looking into this and we've got it in labs is that I've had, I don't know, a dozen, a couple of dozen companies contact me with really interesting cases. This mapping one is actually one that comes up fairly reasonably often. Yeah, I can totally um, imagine. And it's, that's pretty validating to hear that, you know, that, that there are lots of teams who, who, when we kind of presented, here's this possibility, they say, oh, yeah, we've been trying to do that for a while. Exactly. Um, so, you know, it, our community it's something that's going to be quite useful for our community. And, you know, we hope as well that it brings in people kind of, uh, you know, from outside the Angular community. Because the other part of it is that, you know, it allows you to kind of think about just Angular components, right? Angular components as, as kind of a standalone thing. Um, and then if and when you need the rest of Angular, right, routing and HTTP and all of these cool things, then, you know, we have that available for you. But certainly, you know, the ability to kind of use a component as a component by itself, uh, again, is, is makes Angular much more flexible, makes it, makes it much more useful in a lot of different scenarios. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I think for a lot of people, it's one of those things they don't know they want it mm. because it, it has that, that kind of taste to it where once you, once you see it, you're like, oh, wait a second, I've been looking for that solution, but they didn't know that it was, it was even possible. Yeah, sure. All right, Yuri, question for you. You've done a lot of trainings and uh, speaking at conferences. Um, so since Angular 2 has come out, have you seen people, as they pick up Angular 2, struggle with certain aspects of it? And do you have any advice for for people who've, who've had those sorts of issues? Well, I think uh, initially it was definitely tooling. Because many people, when I started the workshops, they were really afraid. Because right now, I have to, t to say that as well, I did mostly workshops for people which really started in front-end development and they wanted to start with Angular 2 uh, directly because they mostly uh, came from back-end sites. So .NET and Java was those cases which I had most right now. And so they were really scared because, first of all, about JavaScript in general, because they were like, okay, it's a dynamic language and you don't know. And like they were accustomed to the statically typed language. And when you introduce them to TypeScript, they really feel immediately at home. So that's a, a big plus actually. 
and i yeah, usually also sure. show them quite quickly the angular cli so i get them set up uh, ready with the project so a, a talent tool i make them install it so they install it on their machine and they start basically playing around with it and they already immediately see something on the screen and can work with it so that with that basically is for me it's like a like an icebreaker to get started to workshop because they then see okay it works i'm already able to accomplish some some stuff and so they're quite happy but in general i think once they get the basics what i often see is basically they struggle with architectural patterns like how do i how do i componentize my application because that's often a pattern which they don't really know from the backend side because they are mostly okay you get some right. rest apis and you you have to obviously structure your application it's oriented yeah. yeah exactly it's more service oriented than that kind of thing and then when you come to the front end you, you really have to think about how do i divide my application do i have different kind of modules especially when you then kick in the router and then kind of uh, stuff so that that's where they mostly struggle and uh, yeah i mostly try to explain them like the difference like how should they split up the front end side like in container components presentation components so that it somehow they, they, they get some kind of picture in their brains Okay, these kind of components should solve these kind of problems, and the other kind of components, like the presentation components, should be more like UI components, which I can reuse them across my application. And so I try to basically give them in this direction some kind of input. And, and then obviously there is uh, NGRX uh, as another way of structuring application. But that, that's something actually I haven't not brought up yet because, uh, as I said, mostly those kind of workshops have been for beginners or let's say mid-advanced, so not really right. really advanced. And then NGRX, uh, if I give them an introduction, it's most on a high level because that's usually a bit overwhelming for them initially. But I think there's actually a lot of potential in there. So once you really get a grasp on on how Angular works or how in general how you should structure your application, NGRX can really really help you there. I, I think what you described is what I've seen as well, where I found Angular to be probably one of the most opinionated frameworks on how components should be written and modules are organized and yeah. uh, how you write your services and you know dependency injection uh, with those and everything. So like once you kind of get the hang of um, where everything goes, you, you kind of get in that groove of, well, this is, this is a component and this is a service and I registered here and, and you just kind of get, get your work done. Um, mm -hmm. And it's, it's, it can be so, it can be so nice to have those guidelines, and especially with with TypeScript in the game, like the errors start disappearing, and you, you just get productive. So, yeah, that's really, really something actually which people like a lot. As I've seen, yeah, nice nice error messages. I, I think we undervalue how nice uh, or how pleasant it can be to get a good error. Like, yeah, <laughs> I love I love a great error, a great descriptive error, and it, it's always an afterthought on so many things. Uh, how about you, Rob? What's the uh, what's your most frequently asked question recently of from your your many journeys? So I think probably at the long term, one of the the more challenging things for people has been uh, kind of Angular's compiler metadata AOT kind of story. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we again we've got this compiler in the middle, and we have a lot of really good reasons for this compiler and this ability to evolve the framework. You know, it's kind of a first class important citizen for us. But it can be rather opaque. Um, there are, you know, kind of these rules that are sometimes a little bit esoteric. Um, and again, it's one of those things that sort of if you, if you understand the mechanisms, then, you know, it's reasonably straightforward to, to work around some of these issues. 
But again, it's one of those things that, as John said, if you don't have good error messages right, if if you don't kind of have the mental model in your brain, then it can be difficult to debug. It'd be difficult to kind of understand how it works. Um, Angular is is sort of unique from many JavaScript frameworks in, in that we have this compiler. Your code goes this kind of magical, invisible step. Um, and that can be kind of intimidating for people. That can be sort of confusing for people, especially you know if it's something that you're adding in later in the game, that can be challenging. Um, and I think we've heard that feedback fairly well. Uh, a lot of the stuff we're working on at the moment is is trying to make that easier, trying to make that a little bit more forgiving, a little bit easier to shift code. And then the other thing is is our application architecture, right? Um, it's funny that people don't really kind of remember that in Angular JS days, we never really gave any guidance on on best practices, right? We didn't really yeah. have that on the Angular website. NG controllers all the way down. <laughs> exactly <Yeah>. right. <laughs> uh, and, and certainly, like, that's, a, that's just that's just what you did. I mean, probably, you, you, and, saw, you got on the homepage and you just wrote ng controllers in one giant HTML file. And, and I think really, like as as a before I joined the Angular team, right? I think many Angular developers, and, and when I and what I mean is people who've using Angular for a while, right, would have told you that like the Angular JS docs are probably not the thing you should be reading, right? Um, you know, John Papa Style Guide and all this other really good information that community built for Angular JS was really the kind of primary point of reference. And so, uh, you know, when we went to Angular 2, we wanted to be sure that we had, um, you know, we thought about this and we gave you some better guidelines, you know, we gave some kind of better ideas on this. And again, this is something that evolves. NGRX, right, is kind of a late entry to the Angular ecosystem. And so that's not really kind of discussed in the documentation about how to think about things like NGRX. Um, so really, I think we've got a pretty good set of documentation on how to get started with Angular, how to kind of get your head around these concepts. Um, but I think that we could do a better job, and it's something that we increasingly want to look into, of, of teaching you about you know, true application architecture, how you think about these things, trying to take, again, some of that decision overhead away from you. Um, and again, a lot of that, that comes from feedback from teams internally, teams externally, um, you know, who, who are really using Angular much more than we are. That's always the thing to keep in mind, right, is that while we write the framework, we're typically not writing, you know, big apps like our teams are. So we rely on a lot of this feedback from teams to know what's working, what's not working, you know, what we could be clearer on. And that, that's the thing that I think we certainly want to continue doing uh, to make it easier for people. Yeah, totally. Uh, so, Yuri, uh, what, what sort of Angular libraries? I, I saw, I watched your courses, which are coming out pretty soon. Um, I saw you used NGX formally in, in your forms lessons. Are, are there any other libraries that... Uh, Angular developers should know about that have come out recently, or that, that you've been using, or that you you would advocate for. Well, yeah, ng form uh, actually there are quite a lot of libraries out there. To be honest, what uh, I know, I know the Narwhal guys yeah, are doing exactly. Stuff. Well, ngx formally was one I actually mentioned uh, in one of my courses, as you as you said, and it was in a course where I actually tried to teach how you can do dynamic forms in Angular. Because I think uh, in Angular 2 mm -hmm. is actually, or Angular 4 and onwards, obviously, it, it has been made actually very easy to do that kind of thing. Like reactive forms are really powerful. And just today in the workshop, I also gave people, we did like some live coding about an hour, an hour and a half together in the workshop where we started with a simple uh, reactive form. And then we step by step, basically, as I, as I showed basically in that video course on ICAD, we incremented that kind of form, we extended it and made it more dynamic such that in the end, we actually really had a simple Angular component where we could pass in a data model, which had obviously have a, different, a certain kind of structure. And then the form basically changed itself automatically without actually changing HTML part and the whole rendering part with also support of validation and, and that kind of stuff. Obviously, we did not cover yeah. our cases, but that really 
it's interesting to see how people then approach it probably really like uh, wow that's a cool kind of thing because you can change the data model actually and the form just adapts and uh, ngx formally yeah. is actually something that implements that kind of thing like uh, i think in angular1.x there was already angular formally if i'm not wrong which uh, was written yeah, by ken. yeah exactly by ken c dots and so ngx formally is actually like an extension for angular 2 so it, it took over that idea from Angular formally, so from the library from Angular One X, and brought it over with with reactive forms for Angular, and so yeah, that's that, that's definitely a library. So if you're interested in having dynamic forms, because like your backend API uh, has some some fields, some some models which like the user could effectively design or configure, then you definitely need some dynamic behavior in creating those forms and in editing those kind of data. So there, Angular formally or NGX formally is definitely what you should look at. Yeah. I have a good friend who is a huge advocate of React and will build absolutely everything in React. But he says, as soon as a site gets form-heavy, yeah. I will automatically switch to Angular Reactive Forms. Yeah, they're really powerful. Because it's just like the best. And yeah, if, if you're doing anything form-heavy in any of your sites, the Reactive Forms in Angular are just this, uh, one of the best things on the internet right so now. Basically and I think we're finding like we have both of these forms APIs, right? We have this reactive form and we kind of have this more traditional AngularJS style form. And I think that, that one of the interesting things about Angular's reactive APIs is they, they really came later in the design phase of Angular. Um, people like Victor Sapkin kind of joined the team and then I joined the team and people who are really, really deeply into this reactive programming stuff. Um, and I think we're finding that in some cases it is more confusing for people. There's a mental overhead to learn Rx, right? But we also find that that this kind of reactive API, if you can understand how it works, then a lot of things in Angular really link together very well. And I mean, you know, the ability to like take a reactive form and plug it into a reactive HTTP request and plug that into the view and have all that stuff kind of work nice and seamlessly is is pretty cool, but also something that we, if you like, have only recently discovered as a thing, right? And so increasingly, we've decided that it works better for Angular developers. We find that it's a faster way to do things. It's an easier way to maintain things. And I think you'll find that we optimize Angular in general going forward for the sort of reactive case. Because reactive forms, people tend to love them, right? And, and we think that if, if that's the model that people tend to like, that's the one we should optimize for. Um, Whereas right now, a lot of the, the kind of reactive APIs, if you like, are, are kind of pasted on top of some of the kind of core APIs. And I think you'll see yeah. us kind of invert that over time and, and kind of make the reactive oh, stuff the core and then the kind of traditional stuff becomes layered on top. Cool. Yeah, I, I kind of get that feeling with the Angular forms that the reactive forms have this beautiful story kind of written that feels like it's reactive first. And like you, like you mentioned, some other parts are reactive second. And I think like one of, you know, as we've been designing things like uh, the data table and material and the tree views, we keep kind of using this, this API that is very much reactive based. And it, it turns out that it works in all kinds of different places. Um, and so it's really quite cool to kind of see these, these really common patterns uh, kind of emerge from both the Angular community, the Rx community, you know, other, other frameworks who are using Rx. And to kind of see those emerge and they're working for people, we'll, we'll continue to kind of optimize for that case. Awesome. Any other libraries other than formally libraries that people should uh, so know? About? I think the one that everybody should check out um, is our new schematics library. So um, one of the big requests we get right, is I want to do custom code generation. I want to be able to extend the Angular CLI. And so schematics are 
are there actually the mechanism we use inside of the CLI to generate, you know, new projects and components and all these things. Uh, but they're designed to be very, very flexible and very extensible. So, one, you know, one of the common cases we talk about is you might go to a team and they might have a slightly different set of style guidelines or, you know, they might want to have the, the copyright notice at the top of every file like we do at Google. Um, and really the idea of schematics is that you can take kind of our base set of generators and override them and make them custom to your own case, to your own company, your own organization. And that allow you to really build like a set of tools that allow you to generate and move very, very quickly on your own application code. So, and this is actually how the Narwhal NX project works, right? They're using schematics under the hood. Uh, we're working on a schematics integration for NGRX right now. So you're going to be able to generate some of the boilerplate for mm -hmm. you. So you don't have to write out actions and reducers kind of line by line. The schematics is like a very low level, but very, very powerful kind of code generation tool. Um, and so that we think is, is going to be pretty major. And again, there's nothing, there's nothing Angular specific about it, right? It's not restricted to Angular at all. So we, we hope that it becomes a usable tool for you know, the entire kind of web ecosystem. So is, is the feel there, I, sorry, I haven't looked into the schematics at all. Is the feel there that you're still using the Angular CLI and then you're kind of, you're writing a template that extends the current template? Yeah, you can do that. So part of the, there is an option in the Angular CLI config to just say, like, use this set of schematics instead when it does CodeGen. So when you do ng, you know, create component or whatever, it can actually create your own kind of custom flavored version of that. Um, but you can use it as a standalone tool as well. So you can just run schematics by itself um, outside of the CLI for, you know, for other kind of cases. Like one of the good cases that somebody talked to me the other day about was using schematics to kind of read in their backend database schema and API, and then actually use that to do code generation of TypeScript. So they're kind of generating their API client backend oh, information. That's the kind of thing that, that schematics, I hope, you know, becomes more and more useful for people. Um, stuff like Swagger, you know, where you have this kind of, machine readable schema for the server side, it's it's really, really pretty straightforward to kind of ingest that and then generate, you know, TypeScript code with that or generate API clients or whatever you want to do. Nice. Yeah, in fact, I've, I've seen Manfred Steyer also wrote an Angular schematics where he basically scaffolds out a CRUD application for Angular. I don't, I'm not sure basically if, whether he checks the backend or whether it's something like uh, you have to, to tell the schematics which kind of entities to generate and so on. But that would be actually a cool idea to, to hook up with some Swagger API, as you said. Really nice. Yeah, it's, it's something that, that we, this is one of the really cool things about TypeScript that, that will give us, right, is because it's such a, a, a statically analyzable language, right, we can do very, very clever things with it. Um, and code gen, I, and I think we're really only scratching the surface of some integration stuff that you can do between, you know, that's the front end, the back end, various different teams, yeah. all this stuff, you know, we have these problems at Google, we have these kind of big scale issues at Google, we have these, you know, we have teams who build if you like the kind of boilerplates for other teams at Google. Um, and so those, those sorts of teams, we really want to give a powerful set of tools to allow everybody that consumes their work, you know, to be, to be equally sufficient. Mm -hmm. So on the, on the topic of TypeScript, this is kind of a tangent, but have you seen anything added to TypeScript that really helped out Angular or, or vice versa or anything coming up in TypeScript that... Certainly a lot of the, of you a lot of the new type inference stuff um, has made not... So the, the two things that I think have been really affected more than Angular itself are uh, the RxJS library. So a lot of the new type information makes RxJS work a lot better, especially if you're into the more kind of functional style of using RxJS. So rather than this sort of dot chain syntax, you know, being able to do composition and currying and piping and all of that. A lot of that was really enabled by, by some new changes in TypeScript 2.4, 2.5. That one's fun because really like Ben Lesh actually kind of 
put up a test case and and Anders Helberg from the, the Microsoft team like fixed it in a night, right? Um, it was really cool to watch and it really opened up a whole bunch of, of new kind of really, really much better type inference uh, inside of Rx. And of course, uh, NGRx gets that benefit too, right? We've, we've rejiggered some of NGRx to make sure that type information flows through better. Really, and the other thing I think is is dynamic import coming in, I think will be very, very interesting. That's just landed at TypeScript. We're just seeing it land in Chrome. And I think that will, having kind of a baked in lazy loading mechanism in the language uh, will make a lot of what we do a lot easier. will make a lot of the kind of dynamic cases that people want to build in Angular easier. Does that, does that mean System.js goes away? In theory, yes. Um, System.js okay. was always kind of developed um, to mimic the native API as much as possible. Right. So in theory, yeah, that's, that's the kind of working theory. There's a lot of gotchas and edge cases and things for people to really start using yeah. ES6 modules in anger. Um, like the big one being that, you know, nobody's written .js on an import for two and a half years, three years in any language in anything. And that's <laughs> going to be required to run up the browser. So, yeah, it's it's certainly, and I guess the thing is for me, what that really enables is rather than having to use a sort of Webpack-specific idiom, which we don't think is a good idea, right? We love Webpack, but you don't think, we don't think you should have Webpack in your code. Um, and also then, you know, we have a bunch of abstraction in there and inside the CLI to make all that work, and that's code that we have to maintain. And so having a really like a baked-in, you know, language primitive for lazy loading of code will make everybody's jobs a lot easier, makes your code a lot more kind of long-term safe, um, and takes a lot of the onus off of Webpack, right? So you don't have to use kind of Webpack-specific idioms in your code. But that's something that, that is just about to be released. Did I get you right on that? Because I didn't look uh, into those. Yeah, so it's, I believe it is in Chrome. I think it's in Chrome Canary. It's already in Safari technical preview. Um, mm -hmm. It's all ratified and, and seems to be good to go. And TypeScript uh, already supports it. Uh, Webpack already supports it. So again, it's right. that you, you can start using the syntax today. And then, you know, if and when the browsers eventually land that, then, you know, you can maybe one day turn off Webpack. Yeah, for we sure. don't see that happening in the near future, but certainly it's nice to be able to write code that you know you're not going to have to go and rewrite at some point in the future. Yeah. Right? It's always weird when those features actually do release yeah. in the browsers, like when, when classes finally came or arrow functions and like you open up the Chrome console and start using it. Like, wait yeah, a second. Yeah, I, I, actually, I, I, I took an <laughs> Angular app the other day um, and I, I sort of manually built everything from ES6, right? So all of our, all of our source yeah. code is written in TypeScript. And so I had to do some hacks and had to go manually rename some things, right? But to have kind of Angular, an Angular application running pure ES6, pure ES6 modules, using ES6 module loading in the browser, using dynamic loading in Safari, was really, really super cool. Um, just to yeah. see it work, right? And to see it in this kind of untransformed kind of form was really, really validating, I think. It's going to be cool if and when we can get to a point where that everybody can do that, right? Um, yeah, it's, it's almost like this prophecy is being yeah. fulfilled, right? I was like, oh my God. This <laughs> like a long time ago, a wise woman once said this and like, yay, these are finally here. <laughs> and, and I have to say, in the defensive kind of the people who run these specs, right, there was a lot of blowback early on that, you know, they'd sort of figured out how to write modules, but not how to load them. There's been such a shift in a couple of years about how we think about loading code and, and you know, the lazy loading is such an important thing. I think that they got it right, right? Getting the spec out there so that people could begin to write code. Um, yeah. And, it, you know, it's not going to bite too many people um, in terms of having to, you know, actually use the native syntax. And so I, I think that they got that right. And, yeah, it's, it's nice to see these things finally begin to actually land in the browser, right? Yeah, sure. Cool. All right, just I'll, I'll toss one last question out there. Any, any other uh, tools or, like, IDE extensions or 
or things you guys are using for productivity that uh, you think everyone should know about? So I think Stackblitz, if you haven't seen it, is rad. Mm-hmm. Stackblitz was, was a thing like I, sh- I downloaded in the office yeah. and literally the entire Angular team stopped what they were doing for 20 minutes and played the Stackblitz. <laughs> yeah, uh, I think which really doesn't cool. You have a bunch of really, really smart nerds who really have their own opinions, and but sort of everybody was universally impressed with Stackblitz. Um, it does Angular, yep. it does React, it does Ionic. Um, and I think that actually Stackblitz for me, it was that same kind of thing of seeing like, oh, this is what web dev could be like, right? You know, if I, and I've said to the guy who runs Plunker for a while, right, if, you, if I could give you 25 bucks a month for Plunker Pro and I never had to have a locally installed IDE, then I would do that. Stackbooks is in the yeah. same kind of fashion, right? Like being able to do this this web-based development where you don't really have to worry about tooling so much, you just get to start writing code, I think is is mega. And it's the thing that actually inside of Google, we we have this cloud-based editor that's not all that indistinct from, from how Stackbooks works. And really, there's yeah. a fair portion of internal development at Google that happens using that kind of cloud IDE. Um, and to have that as a real thing, I think is, is pretty cool. So I hope that Stackbooks and things like Stackbooks uh, become more and more prevalent, right? Because the barrier to entry for people, like the difference between, we do a lot of work to make sure that Angular is easy to use, to make sure that, you know, the CLI does everything you need to do, but it's still the difference between going to a website versus having to read a bunch of instructions on how to do NPM and all these other things, right? So yeah. for one click, I'm in and I'm, I'm immediately productive is a very, very powerful thing. Uh, so much that we're actually right. switching Angular's documentation over to use Stacklets. Yeah, for, uh, for me, Stacklets really, really made it easy in the workshops, because I, I had usually the slides where I then explained some kind of topics and then I had a kind of demo link on there directly in the slides. So especially as a reference material for the attendees afterwards. And usually, initially, obviously I had their plunkers uh-huh. linked and it w- was kind of weird because like you explained them the whole stuff and how Angular works, how it loads up. And then you see system jazz inside those plunkers. And it was always kind of a shift. You, you nearly had to explain them that as well. Yeah. And now I simply embed some, some stack blitz uh, links. They can play around with that and they can even download it. So that, that's the most cool thing, I think, because they can download it. It's a fully configured Angular CLI application already. So they can just use their local Angular CLI and boot it up and it works just as in the browser. So that's really, really, really cool. Definitely. Yeah, we, we live in exciting times. Yeah. <laughs> Closing thoughts from either of you? Yeah, uh, I think from our end, we are we're pretty stoked to see we hit a million uh, a million monthly active users on Angular's website for the first time. Congrats! Pretty big milestone for us, and so we're we're super stoked that the community is kind of picking up on us. I say this fairly often that that kind of we we very much feel like we were only just getting started. There is a lot of really really cool stuff coming down the pipeline. That we you know I think that we we've more or less kind of built Angular's public API the, the way we like it, and now a lot of what we're doing is, is kind of based on feedback we're getting from developers, these new use cases, right? And so for us, I think the next kind of couple of years of Angular will be very very exciting. And again, we're not going to change Angular for everybody, right? Like you will be able to continue to use Angular in the way that you use Angular today. That's the guarantee that we're making. Yep. But certainly, we want to begin to kind of open the doors to a whole variety of different use cases, a whole variety of different kind of skill levels and backgrounds and all these different things. So certainly, from our perspective, stay tuned. Great. And Yuri and Rob, thanks for all you do in the community. And the same to you. I, I don't think we would be where we are without Egghead and the coursework that you guys do. So thank you. All right. Happy holidays. Happy holidays.